Hello and welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes for the week ending November 13th, 2020, Friday the 13th of all days. And uh, this is our 56th video cast and 46th podcast, so welcome along. Uh, we've got a good amount to cover tonight, but uh, what a great week it's been. Everything we've been talking about in the last couple of months has come to pass, so uh, very, very good things to, to discuss for sure. So, uh, first order that we always do is we're going to uh, cover the media spots. First, I'd like to thank Ellie Terrett and Liz Clayman for having me on the Clayman Countdown on Wednesday. And uh, the key things that we discussed in this segment were uh, the Goldman Sachs upgrade for the end of the year S&P price target. They pushed it from 3600 to 3700 They pushed 2021 to 4300 which would be a 16% gain from end of year. And then 2022 to 4600 And this was on the backs of the Pfizer uh, vaccine uh, data, the phase three data showing 90% plus efficacy. This was a huge catalyst we've been waiting for for the rotation into the cyclicals trade. And boy, was it ever a rotation in, the, in this past week. I'm going to show you some numbers in a little bit. Um, the other aspect that's, that's positive that uh, I think can, can help their estimates uh, play out uh, is that the, the gridlock government outcome was the most positive outcome uh, historically for the last 100 years, and particularly because that leaves the corporate tax rate at 21%, so we won't have that $20 loss of S&P earnings. So that is a big deal. Uh, obviously, that hinges on um, the Georgia runoff, which looks uh, very positive, but, uh, but that's where it is right now. And uh, furthermore, we have the Moderna data coming out and uh, could be potentially on Monday at the rate things are going with the timelines that they've been giving. Given And finally, we had the Eli Lilly uh, treatment cocktail, which is basically uh, very similar to the Regeneron cocktail that the president took that helped him very quickly. That received emergency uh, use authorization this week. So, uh, so, th so those are some of the key factors that'll play into Goldman hitting the, the targets that they've laid out. Uh, we are in a new business cycle. We've just gotten through the recession. We had two negative quarters of GDP growth, uh, followed by uh, Q3 was positive, and the unemployment rate has come down from 14.1 to 6.9. We also talked about well, where is the contributor to this increased earnings because David Costin's premise was based on a 2020 earnings estimate of $175, which is uh, higher than consensus, which is right now at $168, which is also interesting because we've seen in the last eight weeks, earnings estimates have been going up every single week into the end of the year, which is not always uh, the case. Usually as you get closer to the event, the earnings trend down a little bit to set expectations. Earnings continue to climb. Uh, they were 163, now they're 168. Costin's calling for 175. I even saw uh, Paulson out out uh, this week. Uh, he's a uh, um, strategist from the mid Midwest, uh, for, I think the Luthold Group. Uh, he was talking $200, and I, I don't think that's out of the question. Um, 
so 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 very positive things. But where are the earnings going to come from? And I think the earnings are going to come from banks. Uh, the four money center banks are over reserved by about twenty to twenty five billion dollars. Uh, they took those huge reserves on uh, in Q2 on the basis of, uh, number one, expectations at the time were that uh, unemployment could go over 20%. Instead, it's now at 6.9%. Um, and also the CECL, the, the change in the paper change in the accounting standards that required them to take 100% of expected worst case scenario all up front. We've, got, we've come nowhere near the worst case scenario, number one. And number two, due to operation warp speed and the acceleration of this um, vaccine, it's, it's just staggering to get it done. You know, the second fastest vaccine ever in history, I believe, was four to five years. Meg Terrell was talking today. I think it was actually uh, about just over four years to develop. And if you think about HIV AIDS, uh, which, uh, which Dr. Fauci presided over, uh, they were never able to come up with a vaccine and 30 million people unfortunately died. So it's just amazing to see this. And I'm sure uh, Dr. Fauci was out very happy with the news this week as well. Having seen all that he's seen over decades, uh, he said help is coming. And he believes that we're gonna be able to have vaccines for everyone uh, by April, which is pretty exciting. And many, many people before the end of the year so, uh, so I'm, I'm sure that made him happy, and it certainly made the whole country happy, and it made the stock market happy. So, uh, that this was a good, good thing. Um, the other aspect is, if you recall, uh, and uh, on the Friday before the election, uh, the market was absolutely plummeting. I was on Liz's show. And what was happening was um, tech stocks were getting battered, and I said, you know, this is not a liquidation. I think the Dow was down 900 some odd points the minutes before I went on. I said, this is a, this is a rotation. It's not a liquidation. And that proved to be prescient. Uh, the four stocks I talked about on that show were uh, Raytheon and GE uh, and uh, Bank of America and Wells Fargo. Uh, since then, I think Raytheon and GE are now up close to uh, 30%, almost uh, over 25%. And Bank of America and Wells Fargo are up somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 percent off of those lows, uh, and that's exactly what's happening. And that was dramatically accelerated that that this week. The other aspects with regard to uh, the Goldman outlook that uh, I view as very important related to that is that uh, generally the first eight quarters of a new business cycle, which we've just started, uh, cyclicals outperform relative to tech and growth. And the first six months after a presidential election, the same is true. That, that That's going to really help the economically sensitive stocks. You're coming off a very low baseline. So as we have 5 to 6% GDP growth in the coming year due to an increase of money supply of uh, about 24, 25% year on year, uh, these stocks are going to hum. And they started that, that jump start off the line in, in earnest this week. Um, so... You know, the upward earnings revisions are a, a key component. You'll have, uh, in the case of the big four money center banks, about $25 billion of reserves released over the next probably eight quarters. That all comes back as earnings power. And I believe uh, there's over $110 billion of reserves taken for the whole banking sector 
in uh, Q2. Much of that is not estimated in the 2021 earnings and financials still make up a reasonable weight in the S&P uh, and, uh, and that, that will be very, very promising. That's number one. Number two, the net interest margin, the yield curve is steepening. That's also not in the 2021 earnings for banks and it's starting to happen pretty precipitously this week and we'll take a look at that on this podcast and videocast. The other factor that's going to help earnings and make this uh, these estimates uh, a reality, in my view, uh, is the uh, Boeing ungrounding of the 737 MAX. That's a big weight that could have a huge impact on overall earnings for the S&P 500 as that's ungrounded. Uh, that could add a, a nice slug. And that's where we start to get up to uh, Costin's 175 and maybe even Paulson's $200, which may be a little aggressive. But, you know, you add a 20 multiple on that. Uh, that certainly puts you in the league of what uh, Costin's talking about of 4,300 by the end of 2021, um, and that's that. So um, uh, moving on, uh, on uh, Tuesday, I was on the CGTN Global Business with Rochelle Akufo. I want to thank Rochelle and Stephanie Savage for having me on Tuesday. And uh, the reason I pay a lot of attention to the China data, as we've said in past podcasts, is they're about two to three months ahead of us in the recovery uh, on the data. We've been following that roadmap pretty closely. And um, I was asked to talk about the, the inflation numbers. Their inflation numbers were actually lower than expected, but that was a one-off due to their hog prices coming down for the first time since February of 2019. It was the lowest inflation rate since uh, 2009, so over a decade. Um, they had a, a swine flu with their um, hogs, and they also had flooding that increased the cost of transportation. Both of those have subsided. So both the PPI at producer price index and the consumer price index were low due to anything food related. And also energy and oil was very low last month. Uh, that's starting to change pretty quickly. Uh, so that was a positive uh, trend to see. Uh, their money supply continues to grow. grow. Their M2 was up 10.9% in October versus 10.4% uh, estimates. Their loan growth was up 13%. Uh, retail sales, they just started to come out of the, the woodworks, was plus 3.3% in October. They had been negative all the way through August. Uh, September was the first print at a half a percent, I believe it was. Uh, their unemployment rate's now down to 5.4%. And uh, all their PMIs are in expansionary territory, particularly their non-manufacturing is up to 56.2. Their exports are humming at 11.4, which shows global demand coming back. Their imports have been weak. Uh, and I think that's going to change if the, the uh, trade climate changes in, in coming months. Um, and the other thing that I thought was very interesting, their shutdown was Q1, ours was Q2. So in Q1, they were at negative 6.8% GDP. Q2, they came in at plus 3.2. That was when their factories started humming. And Q3 was when their consumers started humming and they hit 4.9% GDP. In our case, we were shut down in Q2. So Q3 was when things started to wake up, and I think Q4 uh, will see even better things. Now, we do have a little bit of headwind with the um, cases spiking up due to the winter and some of the different regions getting hit harder that had not been hit as hard originally. 
but I think the market can look through that because of all the good news on the treatment and vaccine front. The death rate is absolutely plummeted. Yes, it's a lagging indicator, but the treatments are phenomenal now that we have uh, Lily, and I, I believe they're going to have um, few hundred thousand of the Lilly drugs out in circulation, if I remember correctly from the press conference this afternoon regarding warp speed. It was just after the close, something like 500,000 of the, um, yeah, 500,000 of the Lilly ship. They'll be free for people who are in severe situations. So the people going to the hospital, 500,000 will get the Lilly. They'll probably get results like uh, President Trump got or, or better. Uh, if they're younger and uh, in, in uh, better condition, et cetera, and it worked for him right away. So that, that's very positive to see. Uh, remdesivir, they've got enough for 850,000 patients, more on the way. And they're going to have uh, tens of millions of dollars, uh, tens of millions of doses of the vaccines before the end of the year. If you recall, they've been producing them at loss before approval. So they were producing them for many months. Uh, and if it wasn't approved, they were just going to get thrown out and the government would have uh, eaten the loss or the taxpayers would have eaten the loss. But since they are approved, they'll be ready. That's 50 million. That's quite a lot. Uh, and then uh, it's expected 1.5 billion uh, by next year doses around the world. So uh, this is over. So we really just have to get through the next few months until there are enough treatments and vaccines to go around. But I think the market can look through a few months now that uh, now that the solution is in sight. So uh, very positive things on that front. Um, the other thing is this data that coming out of China, which is really interesting, is um, pr you know with no vaccine. So and they and all they had in terms of treatment, as far as we know, is the remdesivir. And I'm not sure to what scale that they're using it at, but. Uh, um, you know, they are uh, last month, their national day holiday, their domestic air travel was actually higher than uh, the same holiday in 2019. So they're more than back to normal. Their hotel bookings were higher than 2019. Again, more than back to normal pre-pandemic levels. And um, their fast food uh, levels, as you're seeing from some of the U.S. companies that have fast food operations in China, as well as their own domestic, they're near normal levels. And the other thing is their movie box offices, which is phenomenal. They're, they're limited to 75% capacity, and yet they still had their second highest receipts in history during their National Day holiday, uh, which is phenomenal. Sounds like a lot of popcorn to me. Um, so so that's what we have to look forward to. That's without the vaccine. With the vaccine, I think that the pent-up growth and global demand is going to be off the charts. So, um, so that was really good news. So again, thanks to Ellie and Liz at Fox, Ellie Terrett and Liz Clayman, and thanks to Rochelle Akufo and Stephanie Savage over at CGTN Global Business. On Monday, um, Meta Singh and Shivani Kumarasan called me from Reuters. Thanks for including me in your article. This was on the back of the Pfizer news. What a great uh, time that was. Uh, and my quote was, the vaccine effectiveness has far exceeded even the wildest of optimism optimistic expectations and the market is reflecting that said Tom Hayes this is getting to the end of the crisis and is a game changer and that's for sure and yes 
we have to wear our masks and social distance in public and, and do all of the things for the next you know couple of months until the distribution takes place and everything and the cases come down and uh, the hospital capacity is, is back to normal levels. But um, it's, it's going to be sooner than we all expect. So very, very good news on that front. Now, this, you know, I could show you this table and say nothing else for the rest of the, the uh, podcast video cast because this basically tells the whole story. Uh, this is from Sarah Ponzek over at Bloomberg. Uh, you should uh, look on Twitter. She posts a lot of good stuff. P-O-N-C-Z-E-K. Follow her on Twitter. Uh, and this was the return by sector for this week. Absolutely phenomenal, these numbers. We've been talking about this for weeks and weeks, and it's finally come true. So uh, energy was up six, energy was number one, up 16.32% for the week. Again, we, we, we said over and over, don't bet against science. The catalyst for the rotation into cyclis, cyclicals will be when we have a vaccine, and it couldn't be to the, to the minute we had the vaccine. So energy up 16.32% this week. Uh, I believe it's his best week in history as a sector, and we have some data uh, we'll talk about it in a minute that I think supports that. Uh, financials was number two, up 8.2% 8, 8 for the week. Uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, industrials were up 5%, and this is what we've been talking about over and over and over again. Uh, financials, industrials, and energy, and they've just absolutely, uh, you know, uh, gold, silver, bronze. And that was uh, right after the vaccine. So very good to see. That's just the Pfizer vaccine, the Lilly article, uh, Dr. Fauci saying help is coming, which we covered. Now let's talk about momentum versus value or growth versus value. Momentum had its worst day versus value in decades on Monday once they announced the vaccine and uh, everyone ran for the crowded e exit in uh, the Momo stocks. It was uh, in over 25 years, never has momentum had that bad of an experience relative, uh, relative to value. Uh, so far, this was through Thursday, this chart. Value stocks were on track for their best week against growth since 2001. If you remember, 2001 was when the, the baton shifted from uh, there were five, a handful of stocks, tech stocks, five or so stocks that made up 25% of the weight of the S&P 500. Uh, flat, you know, back to the future, we have uh, five stocks that are making up uh, even greater weight right now. And, um, and from 2001 to 2006, value had one of its best runs ever. And I think we're on the cusp of that right now. So, um, and it's due to a lot of factors. Number one, the steepening of the yield curve, the banks, the new new expansion, and I think also energy, which we covered last week. Uh, under you know, assuming that uh, the political outcome is as expected, um, you know, I think OPEC is going to have uh, more muscle to flex as demand comes back. I think you're going to see an oil environment that's more similar to. Uh, the period under the Obama administration when regulations were higher, it was tougher to drill and prices were through the roof. So um, we should be looking forward to three to four dollars at the tank, probably uh, 12, you know, 12 to 24 months out. It could certainly be sooner if demand picks back up and air travel picks back up um, uh, due to the vaccine. But uh, I, I, you know, one of the things that 
President Trump ran on and implemented was he was very aggressive with uh, OPEC even before demand destruction from COVID uh, in them uh, keeping their production up so that prices would would remain low uh, at the pump. And um, uh, I, I think that's going to be all in, in the rearview mirror, which is very, very good for the energy sector. So uh, the major players, the, the marginal players will be toast, but the major players will gain more and more share. Uh, and even on the basis, the most optimistic basis of renewables leading the way, a couple decades down the road and taking over the the runoff value of these companies is just phenomenal. And I think there's going to be much more to it than a runoff value uh, moving forward. So uh, very, very excited to see this development. Um, this shows how since 1926, uh, this is from the Wall Street Journal, this was um, value versus growth. Uh, basically, through all time, uh, uh, the value premium since I believe 1901 is about 3% per year. Uh, it's outperformed growth um, because when growth does well, it does great. But when it rolls over, it's it's bloody. You know, if you remember the tech rec was 80, 90%. I think even Amazon, which was a phenomenal business, their uh, fundamentals, their sales and their earnings continued to increase through the tech rec, but their valuation came down from some insane multiple 200 times or whatever it happened to be down to a more normalized multiple uh, while value took over from 2000 to 2006 their business continued to, to improve the, the good businesses are going to continue to gain share uh, but the multiple were normalized and i think we're on the cusp of that and if you can see what's happened now value minus growth uh, you had a very similar situation you know um, in 2000, you know, 98 to 2000, where growth just took over, and we're kind of having the same situation in, in the last uh, since 2017 to now, particularly where it just falls off a cliff, and then all of a sudden, value gets the rebound of all rebounds, and I think that's that's where we are. We had a similar thing in the early 90s, and if you notice. These are all near uh, recessions. So we just had a recession. You had the same thing. You had a spike up after the 2008, 2009, where value outperformed. In the 2000 to 2006, it was just a huge, huge, huge value outperformance. Uh, in 1990, right after the 1990, 91 recession, value. Um, so, so that's uh, value had a, a, a nice run. So that's effectively where we are, value minus growth. But over the long term, you get that huge premium. You're at a point right now where you can really buy value at a, uh, if you're a mean reversion thinker, which is which is how we've always uh, played the game, um, this is a historic point where you can't, you can't possibly get more bang for your buck. Um, taking that bet than than where we are in terms of standard deviations uh, out so uh so you know many people are on tv talking about a barbell and i think that's uh sensible to obviously not go too far over but you don't have to get that much exposure to be overweight uh the the sector uh percentages of some of these have gone down so materially you could be 100 percent overweight and not um 
feel it, it you know by still having exposure to the general market so uh, the risk reward is just phenomenal here and uh, and the values there and now we have the catalyst and we have the business cycle timing and we have everything behind us uh, this is just um, something we don't talk often about. I saw it in a Financial Times article is the yield curve uh, 10 year to three month is also steepening materially uh, in the fourth quarter and that's continued after the election. So that's good to see. I'm more interested in the tens to twos, but this is also a good sign for banks. And that was the concept of this article after the vaccine. U.S. banks in line for a windfall after COVID-19 vaccine process. Uh, progress and uh, they're saying basically what we've been saying for weeks is that uh, they're going to be able uh, obviously the yield curve is steepening and that um, uh, that uh, that they'll be able to release a lot of reserves because uh, you know this is coming to an end effectively so very very positive news on that front uh, last week we went through all the bullish percent by sector. You can just take a look and see what happened to uh, energy has has really jumped up to 80% now on a bullish percent point and figure buy signal, uh, which was good to see. And this is very common. Um, so you had the original crash where it got down to 3.7% in March. Then you get the rally, then you get a retest, and then you get a sustainable thing. You had the same thing in 2016. Uh, where you had the original crash, then a retest, and then you had a sustainable long-term trend. And the same thing in 2011 and 2012, you had the crash, and then a retest, and then a, a really sustainable long-term three, four-year rally in energy from 2000, and from the retest was in mid-2012 all the way to 2000, end of mid-2015. Uh, early 2016 before it took a breather. So uh, we're in the same position. Good to see that. Uh, Wells Fargo's out saying banks are the best economic comeback trade, tells clients to get aggressive. So opinion follows trends. Obviously, you know, with banks up materially this week and most of them up double digits, uh, now uh, people are starting to get interested. They'll get a lot more interested when they start to break out to new highs. That's when you're going to see absolute euphoria. Uh, that's when we'll be laying off some of our shares. But for now, um, we're just getting started. That's that's basically what it comes down to. The only thing that can derail it in the short term is just bad political decisions with aggressive shutdowns. Uh, I think um, you know that's probably a lower probability, and it'll probably be limited to certain states. Um, uh, so we'll keep an, our eye on that. But again, that's you know months of bad decisions. That's not going to be years of bad decisions. So you may have to hold through a little chop, but um, the vaccine's coming. The treatments are here. It's really good news all around. Next, um, home builders, again, they continue. We've been talking about the secular trend, 85 million bit boomers. This is not stopping anytime soon. Rocket Mortgage, uh, I believe their revenues were up 161%. They're one of the largest mortgage providers. That's going to trickle through. Obviously, Wells Fargo's in the top three. Uh, you're going to start to see it in future quarters earnings as well. Um, and uh, so that was nice to see on the home builder front. And now to our article of the week, the Louis, Louis Armstrong uh, what a wonderful world stock market. There's no better explanation for what happened on Monday with the vaccine and 90% efficacy. You know, it, it, it's hard to convince someone to take a vaccine when you got, you know, it's like the flu shot where you got a 50-50 shot of it working. But when you're at 90%, I think a lot of people are going to jump on board and we're going to hit that uh, herd immunity pretty pretty quickly. 
Um, so that was uh, basically it. It flipped the switch from the tech market to the cyclicals and everything market. Again, it's not zero sum that, you know, everything in tech is going to crash. It's nothing like that. Although you are seeing some of the SaaS names really start to collapse. But um, uh, and Fang took a breather in the last month, which we've talked about for for many weeks. Um, but you are, I, I, I'm, I'm quite, um, all the facts point to, we're going to get a, a significant period of outperformance for the value in cyclical names moving forward. And uh, if you want to smile, play, play Louis Armstrong's song. It's just an absolute classic. Um, so then we, we went through uh, uh, the Fox business and we went through the CGTN. Here's some more data on the China data. Uh, domestic recovers first, China leads. This is their tourism. Uh, air performance is back to pre-pandemic levels. We covered same in hotels. This spike here, they were actually higher than um, pre-pandemic levels. That was the National Day holiday in October. We don't have the November data yet, but it's probably in the, in the neighborhood. Uh, next is emerging markets earnings. Uh, that is being really led by Asia. Okay, back to pre-pandemic uh, estimates, whereas LATAM, Latin America uh, portions and the uh, Europe, Middle East and Africa are lagging. So uh, so all of the, the quick recovery is in Asia, which we've covered. And uh, so moving along, the next part of the article we covered, we've been making the case for many weeks that the catalyst for money to flow into the cyclicals, economically sensitive names would be a vaccine and repeated over and over. And I would copy and paste it every single week. I remember this. I'm like, should I change this? I was like, no, let's not. Don't bet against science. And uh, for those people who were betting against science, they really missed, uh, you know, a huge opportunity. But as far as the left for dead sectors, uh, this is just getting started. So uh, they, they, they missed some, but uh, if you look two, three years out, it's really just, just getting started. So, um, so last week you had a situation where uh, tech actually started to take the lead for a day or two and everyone got really, really pessimistic um, on cyclicals again. And it was really hard to come out, I gotta say, uh, and conclude that article with the assertion, this is not the time to give up on the cyclical trade. And that was a very lonely thing because a lot of the talking heads would go back on, you know, go on TV and say, see, all these value guys, they're wrong again. You know, this is a big fake out, you know, blah, 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 you know, load up into SaaS and tech. And uh, and this week, um, you know, we, we had the trigger and uh, stuck with the plan and uh, and were rewarded. And that's and 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 that's just the beginning. So. Um, so what a difference a week makes. This was from Tom Lee at Fundstrat just showing, you know, how Fang started to weaken and Epicenter, which is effectively cyclical and uh, uh, reopening trade stocks. Uh, this was from Jerome Blockland over at Robico. Uh, value versus growth. And this was up till Wednesday. This has now uh, gone past that. So that was good to see. And these stock, you know, I write this article on Wednesday night. So all of these that you're seeing, this is financials to, to NASDAQ. You're seeing they've just absolutely skyrocketed. And this is exactly what we were talking about uh, in the article um, on October 29th before the election. 
we said that this market was setting up exactly like the 2016 election, that same weakness when everyone was panicking out and buy insurance. And we said, you don't buy insurance with the VIX at 30. Um, that's the time to sell insurance that's, and, and buy the market. And sure enough, uh, we've got this exact outcome with um, uh, the S&P 500 taking off, uh, financials taking off, uh, the yield curve steepening materially. Uh, that was the 10-year yield. Uh, banks starting to rally. Energy starting to rally. Um, XOM, we, we had Exxon there. We had uh, defense stocks starting to rally. That's part of industrials um, and general dynamics. These were just some examples that we pointed to when we said um, this is looking a lot like 2016 in terms of the outcome. And we got it. And it didn't matter with the presidency. What mattered was we got divided government and we got resolution. And um, and here we are. So financials to uh, QQQ. So this looks a little bit better at the end of today, but the point is the same. This is defense stocks to NASDAQ off the charts. These are ratio charts, energy to NASDAQ off the charts. And uh, this is this was um, from Elena Popina. You could also follow her on Twitter. She's at Bloomberg. Uh, she said, despite yes, so this was yesterday on Thursday when energy was having a weaker day. Despite yesterday's dip, energy stocks in the S&P 500 remain on track for their best week ever. There's no question that that was that materialized as of today. They had a strong day today. And uh, and 16% for the week, so very good to good to see. Um, we've been seeing crude draws pretty much every week since we put out this Rystead data on June 18th. If you recall, I was pounding the table on June 8, uh, June 18th that we were we were having surpluses all year due to COVID, demand destruction, and I said that this uh, what no one's paying attention to with this OPEC deal is that it's through April of 2022. They've never done a cut that lasted that long. And um, and sure enough, right after that data was out, and I'll show you the, the chart we put out, this was on June 18th. You can go back and check it out uh, at hedgefundtips.com. Just click on uh, commentary or sentiment under categories, and you can pull up every article we've ever done uh, and podcast and video cast. And, um, so this was it. This was it right here. That's when we, we put out the data and the expectation that we were going to move into draws. And that's exactly what we've had consistently ever since. And this is going to persist. Uh, we had a, a, a build this week on the EIA numbers. We had a draw on the API numbers. Uh, but um, in large part, this is going according to schedule. And uh, energy is expected to get a continued bid due to the fact that the it started at 9.7 million barrels a day, then it uh, tapered to 7.7. It's supposed to go to 5.7 million barrels a day and stay there until April of 2022. Instead, it looks like they're going to keep it at 7.7 .7 million barrels for an extra few months before tapering down to 5.7. So this could even become better and better and better. Uh, I think that um, you know OPEC is is feeling a lot better now, and demand is going to pick up. So that is a good good thing, and that was a good roadmap. And this is exactly it. So this was the end of June, and we've had effectively draws most of the time ever since, with the exception of a couple builds, and we got one this week as well. 
what's taking place now is an unwinding of excesses caused by unusual once in a century circumstances. So this, this chart shows the, uh, and if you're listening to the podcast, you can just pull up this article to see these charts on hedgefundtips.com. Scroll down on the right side under popular articles and click on the one that says Louis Armstrong and has a picture of Louis Armstrong. And you can read all, all of these and see these charts. It's, it's often helpful to visualize it. This shows the PE spread between the S&P 500 momentum versus value is at a, a high we haven't seen since we had that abrupt rotation in 2000, 2001 and uh, commodities value cyclicals had their best six years uh, in, in, in decades. I mean, it was just phenomenal period for, for that group. And I think we're on the precipice of, of the same thing. Um, again, I don't think the performance of value in cyclicals is going to come at the zero sum expense of growth momentum tech stocks because they're good businesses. But I do think we'll see material relative outperformance because we're going to get a normalization of multiples since uh, the multiples expand when managers have nowhere else to go to buy growth. With the economy reopening and growth coming back and the delayed effect of $20 trillion of global fiscal and monetary policy solving a $3.6 trillion contraction in GDP, uh, managers are going to want to pay less for the same or greater growth that is now available through value and cyclical stocks before you could only buy it in a handful of stocks and then you know some a couple dozen sub stocks the SaaS and and some of those and the stay at home stocks but now the palette is wide they have all the colors they want to paint a beautiful picture and they can get that growth at much lower prices and it's supply and demand so if the supply is greater the demand for the highest multiple stocks is going to go down a, a hair or more and uh, while their businesses will continue to do great and people will continue to Zoom, they just might not be willing to pay 200 times sales. So, <laughs> you know, call them crazy. So next, um, uh, bu -bu -bu. okay, we covered the tailwinds of both the first eight to 12 quarters of a new cycle and the six months after an election. The other thing is you just look at earnings. Uh, we put out this chart from FactSet. The green sectors are going to grow fat, the fastest in 2021 at the same pace or faster than the S&P 500. Again, we've covered these energy industrials, discretionary materials, financials. And the ones that will grow the slowest are consumer, uh, communication services, infotech in the um, uh, communication services at 15% relative to the S&P at 22%. Infotech pulled forward a lot of their earnings growth. Uh, they're going to grow at 14%, which is great, but the S&P is going to grow at 22%. Healthcare at 11, staples at single digits, utilities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this was a picture of Santelli on CNB, Mike Santelli on CNBC, and he was putting out, I believe, a chart from Credit Suisse this week saying cyclical staging a comeback. S&P projected uh, 2021 EPS growth, and he has it actually grouped by cyclicals uh, at 66% earnings growth uh, relative to the S&P at 20, uh, 21%. So uh, that needs to be parsed, but the concept was the time is now. Um, Post-election behavior. Uh, do, 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 do. Okay, so yeah, similar to the uh, the setup is similar to what we saw in 2016, and that's now playing out. The key was not the presidency, but rather a divided government that keeps the corporate tax rate at 21%. And uh, here's you can see what's happened since the election. S&P 
up big. This is obviously higher, by the way. Both the Russell and the S&P closed at new highs today. Uh, that's really, really constructive. Financials, again, boom, they just popped. 10-year uh, yield popped. Uh, Wells Fargo popped. Uh, Bank of America popped to the upside. Energy sector popped to the upside. ExxonMobil. All the charts that we put anticipating before the election have followed the script, which, uh, you know, if they continue to follow script, means they've got a lot more upside in the, in the short term and meaningful upside uh, for, for years to come. Defense sector off the charts. General Dynamics, Raytheon Technologies all off the charts. Um, so the other uh, point was... Uh, three weeks ago, I made the case that people need to, quote, calm down like Taylor Swift, because while most people were calling the stock market a bubble, there were hundreds of stocks that looked nothing like a bubble. These are the same stocks that have rallied huge in the past week. And here's the article and the list. This was the uh, Taylor Swift, you need to calm down stock market. Again, you can pull these up on hedgefundtips.com. So my question in that article was, oh, so the heading was, but it's a bubble, exclamation point. And then I said, do these stocks look like a bubble? And there was a block of 24 stock, uh, uh, four times, yeah, 24 stocks, then another 24. So about 100 stocks I posted, uh, you know, American Airlines, just random stocks, uh, uh, Anheuser-Busch Brewing, um, Bank of America, uh, uh, Credit Corp. Citibank, BP, these are the stocks that are just flying. Um, Bausch, uh, Canon, Carnival, CF Industries, Chimera, Colony, uh, Chevron, another bank, uh, Cisco. Cisco, by the way, ripped today, by the way. So, so yeah, that wasn't in a bubble either. That was up 6 or 7% today on earnings. Um, CPA, that's a South American stock. Cody has been up big. ConocoPhillips. Uh, every single one of these defense stocks uh, up huge. I think that this DFEN is up 40% in the last few weeks. Um, Discover uh, Communications, that's the Discovery Channel. Uh, DK is a refiner up huge. Uh, EOG up huge. ERX, the leveraged energy up huge. Um, Fang, up, F, F, Fang, the uh, Diamondback Energy. FAS is up, uh, looks, it was trading below 40, I think it's at 47 now. So that's probably up 30% in the last uh, week or so. Um, Fox A, which I talked about on the claim and countdown. The next day, Trump tweeted that he wanted to like go to Newsmax or start a competing station. But uh, Fox is a very resilient company. They've got a huge buyback and it was back up today. Uh, $2 billion buyback authorized. They bought $500 million of stock at $35. You can buy it in the market now at $27. I think this one's got room to run. Um, uh, GE up huge. This thing was left for dead. It was at $7 when I put this out. It's now over $9. Uh, they, uh, someone raised a price target to $11 today. Um, that's a levered play on the airline and vaccine. Um, Gilead was in the low 50s. Now I think it's closed at 60 uh, that's going to be a huge thing when they get the um, uh, inhaled remdesivir that, you know, basically you could get a script for it like you get it for a Z-Pack, and that'll be a game changer. So if you go out and you get COVID, you, you know, call your doctor, go to Walgreens, pick up your thing or send someone, obviously, if you have COVID, 
and uh, you inhale the thing for three days and COVID's, you know, cuts, cuts it in half from 13 days down to four or five days and you're all better, uh, that will be an absolute game changer. And uh, we don't have a timeline on that, but that when it comes, I think that's going to be a big deal. Um, Nordstrom, totally left for dead. That thing has been ripping this week. Uh, Kinder Morgan, uh, uh, Liberty Global, Lila, which is a South American version, uh, Las Vegas Sands, every single one of these stocks I was left for dead, they're all flying. Um, then we did another group. Uh, so you can just go through these and take a look. Royal Caribbean, uh, PSXP, there was some big unusual activity in that. That's a, a midstream company, actually. Uh, Royal Dutch Shell has ripped higher. Raytheon, again, we've been talking about that for weeks. Six Flags ripped higher. Spirit Air is up like 50% in the last week. Um, Slumberjay, Suncor, there, you know, this whole list, just go through them. Exxon is starting to really rip. I think that's going to be a huge one, along with Wells Fargo. Uh, so, so go through it. Well, Walgreens Boots is starting to fly. So that's that. Everyone was calling a bubble buying insurance. And I was saying, look, this is not when you want to buy insurance. If you look at this chart, this is when this is near a bottom, not near a top. If you want to call a top, let's talk when the VIX is at 10 and then wait a year. And that's probably when when uh, you've got your top and things start to crash. Hit 10, wait a year, crash. Hit 10, you know, wait a year, you have a crash. But vol volatility starts at 10. So we're not anywhere near that, near that. And now people are saying, well, with the VIX getting below 20, that could be bullish, you think? So that is uh, further good news. Um, okay, then we said um, uh, the energy. Okay, so we made the case for energy. When was that? In the article on the, I'm an accountant article, which was... Uh, October 15th and you can see this long-term chart we posted and extremes largest short in energy in 20 years here's what happened next and uh, this was when we put that on, on October 15th uh, this has now jumped at least 20 25 percent since we put this out um, actually probably more like 30 33% from these levels. But nonetheless, um, I think this is the beginning here, guys. This is a generational opportunity. And uh, and I think, you know, there have been no major investments in major projects for oil for the last five years. The recounts down from 1,400 in December of 2014 to a few hundred now, less than 300. And demand is going to pick up very, very quickly, and uh, there's there's going to be a real issue. And whether that's six months from now, 12 months from now, or 18 months from now, it doesn't matter. Market's a discounting mechanism. It'll start to sniff that out just like it did in 2000, early 2000s and ripped higher till 2007, 2008. So here we are, and these things are starting to happen. So uh, for those of you who have been with me for a few weeks and or, or months and been patient here, now, now it's payday, and this is really, really exciting to see. Um, okay, now, uh, then we also had, so, you know, there's all of our good stuff. Then we also had the Cobra Kai leg sweep. If you uh, remember that article, that was from, um, that was about Wells Fargo. Um, I guess, let's see. So that must have been in late September. And then we ripped out of that and then we took a huge detour. But remember, we said we knew what we owned. 
the fundamental thesis hasn't changed. It's trading at a 43% discount to book. It's only done that two other times in its history. It recovered in months, not years. Book value now is hovering around $40. It'll probably be higher once they take all these reserves down. Um, and sure enough, while it took this crazy detour before the election, it's absolutely ripped high off, ripped off the bottom, about 20, close to 20% mid-teens. Now we're back over this line of demarcation. We're getting uh, through this supply at volume by price. And the other thing in the long-term picture, which we've been covering, this ADX, which we rarely use, but it's worked so well 15 out of 16 times historically, that uh, you know, here it dipped below just to make everyone puke, and now it's back above this line of demarcation, above the volume by price, and I think this thing can run, and this looks like it's going to recross, so uh, we could potentially see one of these big, big reversals like we saw in 2016 or in 2011, and really uh, get back up to new highs over the next couple of years, which would be really exciting to see. Um, nothing's changed on the fundamental thesis. You can go ahead and review that at the Stevie Wonder Faith stock market. We put that out earlier in uh, about two months ago. We just showed the valuate, relative valuations. This is an update on the yield curve. It's following according to plan. The yield curve inverts, the market collapses. The yield curve inverts, the market collapses. The yield curve inverts, the market collapses. And then you get this huge steepening and the first pullback and financials take off. You get this huge steepening and the first full pullback and the financials take off. This red and white line is the two to 10 year yield. Uh, the steepening of the curve, first pullback and we're taking off. So uh, this should persist if hi history is any indicator and, uh, and the demand from the 85 million millennials is not gonna subside soon. We saw it in the housing earnings we saw it in the rocket mortgage earnings, and we're going to see it in the bank earnings moving forward, particularly the lenders that no one's paying attention to because they're all saying, let's go buy banks like Morgan Stanley and, um, and Goldman that have trading businesses, which is unpredictable revenue. They have investment banking business. It's lumpy revenue, and you can't model it out. The business is going to be the lenders, 85 million people starting housing formation, now more motivated than ever before it's happening this is going to be a secular trend and this is going to be one of the key catalysts and commodities behind the roaring 20s decade that that we have to look forward to so um, barring some short-term volatility if dumb political decisions are made in the next eight weeks uh, and then beyond that it, it should be smooth sailing so that's the story there uh, and then in August, we put out the Gordon Gecko gridlock is good. That proved to be true on August 13th. We put that out. And um, oh, the other thing we said about the uh, banks here under this yield curve chart, the fundamentals have not changed and, changed. and that's why when you know what you own, you don't get shaken out from an erratic, quote, leg sweep from the Cobra Kai analogy. You simply add more from the folks who puked. They will be back to buy it from you in a number of months when it's breaking out to new highs, at which time we'll gladly lay off a bit to the giddy converts. Now, keep in mind, this is, this is a very important thing because everyone thinks that their way is the best way, and it's just not the case. There's so many ways to the top of the mountain. So the people that are buying it from us in whatever it is, 6 or 12 or 15 months, 
at new highs, they're going to make a lot of money too. And uh, and maybe in some sense that you know they won't have to wait. They'll, they'll buy the breakout. The breakout will fail. If they hold on to it, they're going to make a ton of money over the next three to five years. If they puke out because they're just traders trading off of a technical thing and they don't know what they own, they'll miss that secular thing. So the breakout buyers are going to make plenty of money. But the opportunity here is to make 100% before the breakout. And um, and 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 you know benefit from this secular trend, and this is going to be a great thing. So so both ways work: uh, buying new highs and and buying value. Um, more than one way to the top of the mountain, but uh, this is the way that we we played the game. We like mean reversion. We like taking the long term view, and we like loading up on weakness and and uh, and then realizing fair value and then laying off over time. So uh, that's worked for us very well over the years, and uh, and that's that's that. That's the other thing you got to learn in this business is you have to know your personality and you have to know your trading style. You know, one of the books that got me very excited in the business, I would sneak when I was an undergrad at Columbia, I would sneak into the business school library at Urus and I read Market Wizards and there were all these different traders and the common denominator is they all had separate strategies and yet they were all extremely successful. Different time horizons, some guys were intraday, sometimes were guys were three to six months, some were three to six years, um, uh, but they were all extremely successful, which is why they were in the book and in the subsequent books. So, uh, you know, I would just say, be dogmatic about your own style because it works for you but don't be dogmatic that nothing else works because a lot of things there a lot a lot of ways to make a lot of money uh so um you know just just be kind and be open-minded uh with people out there everyone's doing their best so um okay so now for the week this this first chart the sentiment survey results this was a you know a bit of an alarm it hit 55 percent this is as a contraindicator you know a lot of bullishness coming in. The problem with this read is this has been a quirky survey for the last few months. I don't know if they've lost members and they're not getting as clean of a read, but it is something to keep an eye on. Um, I do think for the general indices, this may be true. I think for the left for dead sectors that we're focused on that are now starting to rip, I think it's just getting started. So even if you have short-term volatility as sentiment comes back on the retail side, it's just an opportunity to, to, uh, to load up. The fear and greed hit 66 when we wrote this, so that's still not at an extreme. It's probably closer to 70 or 80 at the close today. You can just go to Google CNN fear and greed, see where it is. If it's over 80, yeah, you may want to get a little cautious, but again, some of these stocks that are still down 30% on the year, um, you know, and you have take a 12 to 16 month outlook, it's it's time regardless. Uh, active managers were underweight, so this is a this is contrary. So so the fear and greed was bullish. The AAII was cautious, bearish as a contraindicator. Fear and greed was like there's still room to run, and this the managers are flat-footed again. They were buying insurance. And as you can tell from the pricing, and they were selling equities, and they were de-risking, and they've missed this huge, huge pop, and now they're going to have to chase into year end. So, uh, barring stupid political decisions, um, I think that um, um, you know you're going to see a chase into year end. 
Um, now, our final message for the week, if you've been with me for a long time, we've come a long way since we put out the Spanish flu article on March 19th when everyone was panicking, again, buying insurance at the bottom and selling the market when they should have been selling insurance and buying the market. We put this out, which was an analog from the uh, 1917 to 1918 Spanish flu. That correction was about 33%. We got about 35%. And, uh, and sure enough, we bought them three days later. Uh, my general view is the easy money has been made in the general indices in the short term. I think we're, I think the roaring, I think we are going to have a roaring twenties. Uh, however, I think the easy money is just getting started in the left for dead sectors and stocks that we've been talking about. I believe banks, defense stocks, and pockets of energy will be as good, if not orders of magnitude better than buying the general market in late March. So, um, so if you feel you missed it, I think uh, I think it's really just getting started. You just have to be selective and smart where you go and patient and being able to deal with the volatility. If something's up 16% in a week, you know, if it takes a breather, you should be expecting that. If it, if it dips back to 5%, they're not going to give you free money. Uh, you know, they, what they like to do, you know, everyone that jumped in on Monday that wasn't pre-positioned, of course they had to shake them out on Tuesday and Wednesday. They, they don't let you in for nothing. They take you up and then they, they force a fake out to just puke out all the newbies. And then they, they're gun shy. And then you get a day like Friday and they're like, oh, I missed it again. So maybe they chase it Monday. You get another shake. It's just the nature of how the market works. But the key catalyst, thinking long-term, uh, you got the vaccine and treatments now. Gridlock's good from a government standpoint. Uh, trade and policy uncertainty should diminish. Uh, 5 to 6% plus GDP growth in 2021 from all the money supply increase, global and fiscal, uh, po fiscal and monetary policy around the, the globe. You're going to see continued upward earnings revisions. Banks are going to play a huge role in that. Energy should start to help. Uh, and, um, and general pessimism is thawing as the unemployment rate drops. Um, yeah, we'll have a, some bumpiness with these regional shutdowns in the coming weeks, the headline risk, but looking through that, uh, it's, it's going to be really phenomenal. And then the accommodative fed, they're not going anyway. They're going to keep the low, the short end pinned at zero to 25. They're going to get, let the long end, uh, do what it does. And that's going to create a continued steepening and just, facilitate huge profits for the banks but more important than that is huge credit expansion in the economy because banks will be incentivized to extend credit because they can make money on net interest margin and that's where you get the long sustainable recovery so time will tell but in the meantime we work hard we work smart we stay humble no one has a perfect crystal ball and we're flexible as opportunities abound in coming weeks what a wonderful world so that was our article of the week and um just wrapping up, we don't have a lot more. So if you get cut off on the podcast, you're probably not missing much. Utilities sector, we did. Uh, their earnings were revised up by 1% in the last 60 days and uh, 12 basis points. Um, S&P 500 earnings were revised up again this week to a little over uh, 168. Same sectors leading the way that we've discussed. And then as far as economic data, uh, the core ones that we want to focus on here was small business opti optimism, beat expectations, jolts, there's 6 million jobs available out there right now. We had the draw on the API. We had the build on the EIA for the energy. Um, continuing jobless claims beat expectations was 6.7 versus 6.9 million expectations. So that was good to see that uh, continue to come down. Uh, inflation was subdued, which means the Fed can keep their foot on the gas. 
Um, and uh, the, uh, let's see, consumer expectations and consumer sentiment, missed expectations. And I think that's just with the cases going up in the short term uh, as these treatments get out there and the vaccine gets out there, we'll just deal with that headline risk uh, day to day. But that's the long and short of it. I'll be on Cheddar on Cheddar TV on Monday morning at 9.30 a.m. if you want to tune in for that. Otherwise, we'll review it on next week's podcast. Thanks for tuning in. What a great week. Thanks for uh, um, listening. And we'll be back next week, same time, same place. Make it a great one.